Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move Forward podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Dr. Kim Moss. And today I have just the joy and the pleasure of having with me Dr. Rodney Hogue. Rodney, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Good to, good to be with you today. It is. And hmm. so we have a lot to talk about. So we're just going to get right down to it. And, uh, but first, I want to introduce you to my guest because Rodney is uh, not just Dr. Rodney Hogue, uh, but he is actually a very close friend of mine. And he's one of the, one of the three men that I call uh, my brothers and my pastors. And so uh, I would love you to get to know Rodney that way. He's an apostolic leader. He has some of the best teaching about the kingdom and forgiveness and maturity uh, than anybody else that I know. Uh, he has, he's a, wi a wife. He's a wife. He has a wife who's a good friend of mine. He has kids and grandkids, and he's uh, a friend, a pastor. He pastored for many years. Uh, he's still a pastor, but now he travels all over the world and speaks. And so I'm so excited to have you, my friend. I do want to read your bio. I love to read people's bio on this podcast. Okay. And, um, because then I ask you personal questions, but I I love I love people's bios. I, I think that I think that they're awesome. So anyway, here we go. Dr. Rodney Hogue has been in full-time ministry since 1977. He pastored over 32 years on the West Coast in Washington State and California in the USA. He has been ministering in the areas of deliverance and healing since the early 1980s. And since 2008, he has been teaching in conferences with Global Awakening primarily in the areas of inner healing and deliverance and over and oversees the deliverance track in Global Awakening's Christian Healing Certification Program. He is a teacher in Global Awakening's Theological Seminary. He is the author of two books, Forgiveness and Liberated. The, the latter focuses on setting captives free and keeping them free from demonic bondage. Rodney now ministers itinerantly, equipping be believers to walk out their identity and expand God's kingdom, which includes demonstrating the kingdom of God with power. He and his wife, Mary, reside near Abilene, Texas, in the United States. And so that's my friend's official bio. But Rodney, tell me to please tell my people, my audience, how they can find you and how they can find your books. Well, my, uh, uh, you can find me at Rodney hogue.com just just my name rodneyhogue.com and uh, that's my website uh, my books you can probably get on my website and see a get a link to my to my books uh, primarily if you want to get the liberated book uh, you can either get it directly from destiny image or you can get it from you know amazon places like that uh, the uh, forgiveness book probably global awakening would be your cheapest place to get it I mean, they're, they take a little bit longer to ship it because they use like postal rate or something like that, but they're probably one of the faster uh, places. But if you just want an ebook about everything, you can get it pretty much anywhere as an ebook. You can get it That's on Amazon great. or Barnes and Noble or iBooks or whatever. And your last name is spelled H-O-G-U-E, Rodney Hogue. And, um, and your forgiveness book is like a bestseller yeah it is it it sells quite a bit i mean I, I sell just my you know personally i just sell at conferences mostly you know sometimes some friends will just do a little bit you know maybe a bulk order or something like that global awakening they sell a couple of thousand of those books a year uh you know and i'll sell a couple of thousand so i probably sell you know four thousand books a year just in the forgiveness book itself so I, and i don't know how many i've I've actually sold, but as Rodney, tell me why, bit. why do you think it's such a great seller? I mean, what is it about this book? <laughs> it 
there's no shortage of people who need <laughs> forgiveness for one. Well, I think one thing it's short and people can actually get through it pretty quickly. You know, you get a big book and it's, and it takes forever to get through it. You're not going to finish it. So you can start this thing and you can get through it pretty much at least the first half of it in, in an evening. And I think also the second half is something that a lot of forgive, books on forgiveness don't have. You know, because whenever you tear down a stronghold of darkness, you got to build a godly stronghold in its place, right? right. So if you're going to get rid of bitterness, you're going to have to replace that with compassion. Otherwise, you still have thinking patterns that are in agreement with bitterness. And then what happens is that like two or three weeks later, it's like, I thought I forgave. And like, well, you did forgive. You just have thinking patterns that's in agreement with bitterness. So you got to change those thinking patterns. And then you'll actually have feelings that will come into an agreement with your with your choice that you made. So the second half of the book kind of helps the person walk through that. That's really good. I, I know so many people who really feel like their lives have been changed because they read that book. So if, if you are yeah. listening today or watching and you, you think you have an issue with forgiving someone, something that, you know, absolutely hurt you and, uh, and was difficult for you, yeah. you really need to get this book. And the name of it is just simply forgiveness. Isn't yeah. that right? Yeah. And it helps. It basically tells you what it is, what it's not, clarifies it. And really, it is made for people who have to wrestle it through and work it through to get to the other side. And what about your book, Liberated? The Liberated book was something I finally put together after everybody kept making me do it, you know. But it's the one on, it, the first half of that book is on, uh, on, on getting set free, setting people free from demonic bondage. It's the stuff I've been teaching for many, many years with Global Awakening and in my church before that. And the second half of the book actually came out of my doctoral dissertation. I think I've already doing a lot of these things, but it's, you know, I did my dissertation on post-deliverance discipleship. And so it's like, once you get free, you want to stay free. Cause you know, when things go away, if, you know, most people can just fill themselves up with Jesus and they're doing pretty good. But if you have thinking patterns that are in agreement with darkness, those are called strongholds, you know, according to second Corinthians 10, three through five. And so you gotta, you gotta take those things out. And uh, so it kind of, and so it has like a step-by-step -step process, gives you a plan to be able to work it through, to wrestle it through, to come on the other side and not only just get free, but also to, to live in freedom. Wow, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Liberated and Forgiveness. Those are Rodney's two books. I highly, highly recommend them. I have read them both myself. Thanks, Rodney. So Rodney, I want my people to get to know you a little bit better. And I love to ask this first question of every single one of my guests. And so uh, would you tell us, please, describe Describe yourself in three words and tell us why did you choose those three words? Well, probably the first word would be either happy or joyful or something like that, because I'm, I seem to always be in a good mood. I, I smile a whole lot. In fact, I, I probably do this to a fault. I actually offend people at times because, you know, if they come to me and they're like really serious or they, you know, or maybe they're confrontational or they're having an issue, you know, and, and they're wanting me to kind of reflect their attitude, you know, you know, look, oh, yeah, yeah. But if I don't, you know, and I'm just kind of smiling and laughing, and it kind of offends them. Like, the, and sometimes people will tell me, you know, that I, I'm, I'm offending them. Like, this, you know, I think it's funny. And they go, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a happy person. You know, just because you're not, I mean, doesn't mean that I can't be a joyful person, you know, in the midst of this, this conversation. So probably that's one. Uh, probably a second one would be uh, risk taking. Is that two words? You know, I'll maybe put a hyphen in there, so I'll make it one word. Uh, I've, I've always been this kind of a, well, you know, one thing I, I heard this sermon one time about this, and, and this guy used this illustration of, about going up, you know, dying, going to heaven, and looking at this warehouse and seeing all of the stuff that could have been yours that you could have experienced on earth but you chose not to and so you know it's here in heaven you don't get to experience it at all and I go you know when I get to heaven I want that warehouse to be empty I want to have experienced everything that I could have experienced for for God 
on this earth. So I, you know, I take risks. I say, I say yes. I always sometimes regret that I said yes. <laughs> I said, why, why did I say yes? I would do that. But you know, I, I got, I would say that I am where I am today because it was just a series of yes, 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 yes. So, uh, Risk-taking, I probably would would be there. Uh, probably a third would be uh, content or contentment. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not really into stuff. I don't I don't really I don't know. Maybe I just don't have any dreams or visions or whatever. Uh, but it's pretty much if I know I'm I'm where God wants me, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay with plenty. I'm okay with a little. I'm okay. It doesn't matter. I'm just content. If this is where God has me, that's kind of like, that's what I, what, what, you know, where, what I want to be. Uh, a lot of times this, that road to being content is uh, a little bit on the scary side uh, because it's, you know, it's God always tests that, <laughs> you know, like, are you going to come through this year, Lord? Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, COVID hits, and we're you and me, we're we're not traveling anywhere, you know, teaching or preaching. So yeah. it's like, all right, God, come through, you know. Right. And, and so it, he he's good. He he always comes through. So that's good. That's so I good. Guess that would be I, think, free. I think contentment is helps a person be joyful, don't you think? I think those two go together. Yeah, they probably do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I think, I think in order to be joyful in the way that you're talking about that, you, you just can't take yourself that seriously. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be true. That's important. Yeah. Don't you think to oh, not yeah. take yourself so seriously all oh, the yeah. time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I want to know about risk taking. I want to know what, what is your favorite or, or what was your, your biggest risk that you, that you have taken? Oh man! Well, you know when it scared you the most. <laughs> well, you know there's certain things that, well, it, it's it, you know, well there's probably a couple of them. One is that I, you know we grew up in the Bible Belt, lived in the Bible Belt, but we left the Bible Belt and moved to the West Coast, and there wasn't anybody on the West Coast. I had family or friends or anything like that, so that was kind of for us. And then you know we were up in the Washington State eight and a half years, moved down to San Francisco area for you know. 23 and a half years and everything by faith you know we never went into any church that was doing well everything was like in crisis or dead or 12 people like in the first one and and so we never you know we always went into those kinds of places nothing i mean the the church i was at the longest they were in the middle of a conflict resolutions process they had called in an outside arbitrator to deal with all of their stuff they'd had three flights of people leave the church you know, the last pastor was there 11 months, tore everything up and left, and he ended up getting out of ministry because of immorality, and and then another guy before him, like, was blackmailed out of the church because of business practices that he had, and so it was, you know, I mean, we never went into place very easy. Everything that we went into was always hard, you know, and Mary was always like, how can we, can't, why can't we just go to an easy place, you know, and and I'm asking God the same thing, you know, like, how about, how about a church in, you know, Hawaii or somebody's right. got a pastor or maybe a church up in the mountains, you know, by a lake or something like that. But we never, we never got those churches, you know, and, and then, you know, I think you've heard my story about going to Mozambique and stuff like that. You know, I mean, I mean, I just said yes. And I get thrown into this whole thing with, Tell us With the story. Wild. That's a, such a good story. Come on. It's a great story. Well, you know, it's part of my journey getting connected with Randy Clark. I mean, I heard Randy for the first time in the year 2000, and I love Randy. I mean, the first time I met him, I go, I love this guy. I mean, I love his humility, his sincerity. I mean, this guy is the real deal. I said, I, I could follow this guy. And so the Lord speaks to me in, about going on a trip with Randy for the next year, you know, 2001. I said, okay, I can, I can do that. And I said, Lord, which, which trip? And I really felt impressed to go to Mozambique. So I said, okay, I'll go to Mozambique. You know, I know nothing about Mozambique, never been there. I, I, I never heard of Roland and Heidi Baker. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, hadn't, hadn't heard that. So the Lord said, okay. And you know, the, I felt impressed, uh, but, but I couldn't get on the trip. You know, it was, it's like the, come to find out they were only taking 12 people on this trip and they were only, they were personal friends of Randy Clark that he actually knew. Mm-hmm. So I was on the waiting list, which meant I was on the list that nobody's going to ask anyway, you know, because <laughs> he said there's 200, because the you know, following year I, I, I met with, you know, Rex Berger, who was Randy's assistant at that time. And I said, I, I want to go to that Mozambique trip, you know, but it says it's full. He says, yeah, only 12 people. I can get you on the next year, which that would have been good too, because Alan was actually, our friend Alan Hawkins was on that trip. That would have been a blast. It would have been. But, uh, you know, I said, okay. But I thought I heard the Lord really clearly. I was supposed to go on this trip. And, and so uh, in July, I, I took our youth to Mexico on a mission trip. I got come back. I was really sick. And the Lord speaks to me. And he says, if you fast and pray, I'll open the door up to go to Mozambique. I said, okay, I could fast because I was sick, you know. <laughs> that makes it easier. <laughs> I wasn't an issue. I couldn't eat, you know. But uh, I... I I, my head hurt so much. I said, Lord, you know, it's going to be just quick prayers, you know, I'll, but I did. And then about a couple of weeks later, he speaks to me and says, I want you to email Rex and tell him that you can go. So I emailed Rex and I said, okay, uh, Rex, um, I can pack quickly. If something happens, you need to fill a spot. Let me know. I sent that email on a Monday, but it didn't arrive in his box until Friday. I mean, it's like this, this email was in cyber world somewhere, but didn't get into his box until Friday, Thursday night, a guy was, that was supposed to go on the trip. He was, he called Randy and he said, I can't go. He said, I don't know why my intercessors tell me that, that I'm not supposed to go. And I always honor what they say. I really want to go. So, you know, he, Rex was mad, you know, he gets up the next morning, sees my email, calls his wife, Lois, says, what do you think? She goes, I think God wants that guy to go. This is two weeks before we're leaving. <laughs> and you see, you know, talking to Rex, because Rex called me and, you know, when next thing I know, I'm on this trip, you know, I had to get somebody to do a wedding I was doing and go to a camp I was you know, teaching at and, and, and. And I got on this trip. I mean, it was a miraculous thing to get on this trip. And Rex told me later, he said, had it been earlier, he said, I had a whole list of people, but because it was so late, I couldn't use them. And uh, Randy didn't even go on that trip, but I got to know Roland and Heidi Baker on that one. And that trip, they, you know, they, they, I was, Charles Stock was on that trip. You know, Tom Jones was on that trip. These are our friends with Global and, and around there. And I mean, these, these, this, this was all their first time there. And, and here we were, I mean, we were in Morimbala, right in the middle of Mozambique. And, you know, we got 5,000, four, four to 5,000 people sitting there and we're going to have an evangelistic meeting. And Heidi is supposed to, she's supposed to be speaking. And all of us are just intimidated because now I'm, I'm, I'm learning who Roland and Heidi are and yeah. hanging out with Supresa and these guys. I mean, these guys who raised the dead and stuff. Right. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, tr- I'm trying to stay in the background, you know, as much as I can. And, and, and then they said, uh, you know, Heidi says, I, I can't preach tonight. You know, I got my throat sore. I need somebody. Because, you know, when you're talking and preaching in the, in the dust, you know, it gets to you. She said, I can't do it tonight. I need one of you guys to do it. And, and nobody's volunteering because all of us are intimidated. Yeah, right. And then they, they threw me under the bus. Oh. They go, Rodney's a Rodney's a Baptist. Those Baptists do they do evangelistic meetings. Uh, Rodney can do it. Right. And you know, Heidi goes, Rodney, will you do it tonight? And I go, you know, what are we gonna say? No, you know, nobody says no to Heidi Baker. Yeah. <laughs> now the good news, I've been doing evangelistic meetings in India, so I'd kind of had some experience under my belt, and I, you know, God showed up and Anyway, I mean, that was the next, uh, I, there's, that was just the beginning of a relationship with the Bakers. I was with them like three months later, yeah. just me, the Bakers and Supresa in the bush. And I remember flying over there. This was in December of 2001. I was like, why did I say I would do this? You know, and then when I get there, I was saying my, the whole time that, but that'll take too long to tell those stories. But it was, <laughs> But it's been a journey like that. I just said, yes. And I get pulled into stuff. You know, I started doing trips for Global and Randy. 
you know, the, the mission trips and the rain, said, he called me in, you know, at one of these conferences and he says, Hey, I just want you to know that you're an associate. I go, okay. What, 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 what's that? <laughs> well, somebody who does trips for us, you know, and then, and then in, like a few years later, now I'm doing conferences with him in the U S and so it's like, oh man, it was just like this journey. I just said, yes, yes, yes. And I get thrown into the next thing. Before I ever met you, you know this story, but before I ever met, before I ever knew who Randy Clark was, because I, I did not know him until I did my doctorate. Yeah. And, um, but I had, I had been sent tapes of you teaching on deliverance because the my the pastoral staff that I was on they had gone to a, um, a healing seminar weekend yeah, healing healing two conference at global yes. Phenomenon. and you had gone to that with Randy yeah. Yeah. and I hadn't been able to go because I was either sick or with my family or something and so I didn't go and I had these tapes um you know because back then we had CDs I had these CDs that were teachings from Rodney Hogue on deliverance that I never listened to because I never had time. And then I meet you in the in our doctoral program. And I was like, Randy Hogue, wait a minute. I know that name. <laughs> and it was it was you. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Anyway, okay, so let's move on. Those are great words. All right. So tell me what is something people misunderstand about you? Because for me, uh, coming up in ministry, you know, I, I always, people, people think that I'm overconfident and what they misunderstand about me is that when I'm on the platform, I'm very gregarious and I'm very, and with, with, in things like this, I'm, I'm very open and very vulnerable and everything and very sort of extroverted. But the minute I get off the stage, I actually am a little bit more introverted and people will misunderstand that and think that I'm prideful or arrogant or these yeah. kind of, or closed, you know, unfriendly. I've been called, I've been called unfriendly and, um, and it's not really true about me. And so it's a misunderstanding, but I think that when, when we see where we're being misunderstood, then we can see sometimes yeah. how people, who people really are on the other side of it. So what, is, what is something that's usually misunderstood about you? Uh, you know, because I, I teach on deliverance and because I have a book on deliverance, because I may oversee the deliverance track and Randy's, uh, you know, Christian healing certification program, people presume that I have a deliverance ministry. Yes. And I don't. Right. You know, I mean, I, I have a, it's like my ministry was to equip people to do the work of the kingdom and then to remove their constraints for them to go on into their destiny. I used to do, a, a, I, we called it our prayer counselor training, where we had like five different weekends throughout a year. The first weekend was, and the, all of these are like six or seven hours of teaching. Yeah. One was on identity, destiny, maturity. That was weekend number one. Weekend number two was on inner healing. Weekend number three, you know, and these are about a month and a half apart. Yeah. Weekend number three was on deliverance. Weekend number four on physical healing. And then the last weekend was like how to do it in church, how to be on the ministry team, how to how to be on a ministry team itself, not just the people in front of the church, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and things like that. So uh, I, I did that training in my church for 15 years straight, and I only stopped because I was traveling too much. You know, I was yeah. traveling 90 days a year, teaching and doing stuff like that, and and so I, I, you know, I tried a one week intensive and that just about killed me. Uh, but, you know, but I did that like every year for, uh, you know, for 15 years and people went in my church. So I equipped not only people in my church, but I equipped all these people in churches all around the San Francisco Bay area as well. But weekend number three was on deliverance. And so when, you know, I would teach deliverance, you know, with, on Randy's mission trips, you know, leading his mission, you know, mission teams. Uh, you know, I would, I would teach it in Brazil. I would teach it in India. I would teach it, you know, wherever I would go. And, and, and then in 2008, Randy asked me to start doing it in the U S and then they asked me to do all of their stuff on, on deliverance. All that is, is weekend number three. <laughs> 
And, and uh, so because of that, then everybody thinks, that, you know, that's all I do is deliverance. And so they're, they, you know, so they're trying to make appointments. Hey, you know, what, what is your ministry called? Where is it at? You know, when I did the Sid Roth interview. Yeah. I mean, everybody in the world, you know, got on my website needing deliverance. You know, can you Zoom deliverance? You know, oh, man. And, and I mean, it's like when I was at my church, I trained people to do this stuff. I mean, that's what I do. I didn't do it all. I just trained people to do it. And, and then, you know, if pastors, you know, one time I had a pastor said, can I send somebody to you? I did that one time and that was a mistake. And I learned from it. And so after that, it was like, oh, no, you can't send your people to me. But if you you can come and get trained or I can do this with you. But I'm not going to do this for you. Right. So it's because for me, it was about equipping and empowering people to do that. You know, I don't you know, like otherwise, because a lot of times, you know, your people are a deliverance minister. Let's we got to go see the deliverance minister. You know, well, I'm not the deliverance minister. You know, but I think that's probably the best big misconception. I've just, I think everybody should do deliverance. Everybody should pray for the sick. Everybody should do the work of the kingdom. And what happens when we're bringing people into maturity, they got constraints, things that are keeping them from going forward into that. So that's where inner healing and deliverance comes into play. We're just removing the things that keep people from coming into their destiny. Yeah. That's so good. And that's so, and that's so right. Yeah. And, uh, very good. All right. So let's move on a little bit. Tell us, uh, tell us about a key event or decision in your life that God used to significantly shape you as a leader. Uh, there was a there's a journey that I think every Christian needs to go on. It's it's the journey of learning how to love the Lord. And I remember, I mean, I started this journey. I was, I was really, you know, before I pastored and stuff like that, I mean, I would spend all my summers, you know, even in high school and in college, because I played football in college, I had a scholarship, so I didn't have to earn money, you know, in, in the summer times. I did all, I did ministry stuff. I worked for churches and I worked for this one thing that was where we just kind of would travel around working with youth, uh, you know, youth leaders. Mm -hmm. and uh, spend some time with them in this program and do this youth leadership training and equipping, you know, during the summer. And I remember sitting around one time and uh, we're just talking and, and they were, we're talking about, you know, when I get to heaven, the stars on my crown, all that kind of stuff, you know, stuff you just talk about when you don't have a whole lot of sense. Right. And, uh, and, I, and, and I remember coming back and I was talking with my dad and I asked my dad, I said, now dad, my dad was in ministry. And I said, dad, wh why do you do what you do? Like, what's your motivation? He said, well, well, I do what I do because I love the Lord. Mm -hmm. I go, well, okay. Well, that is just you and me. All right. I mean, well, I'm just your son. I'm not going to say anything. I mean, is it for, you know, because like maybe change lives of people coming to the kingdom, you know, and no, I mean, if, is it because rewards in heaven you know, because you're going to hear God say, well, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, Tim, really, you can, you can tell me, you know, <laughs> it's not going any further. He said, no, really, I do what I do because I love the Lord. And I'm like, really? Like, you know, I knew that was the right answer, but I'm like, you know, there's really somebody on earth that that is really their motivation. Because I realized that's really not my motivation. You know, just to just to admit it, you know, but it was, it was that was him. Uh, you know, he wrote his first book, uh, Love Leaves No Choice. You know, Billy Graham wrote the, the forward to that one, but that really detailed his philosophy of life and living and doing ministry. So I went on this journey of, of learning to, to love the Lord. And, and I, I remember I was, you know, when I was one of the church, churches I was at, I was on staff, associate pastor and student worker. I remember in, in our discipleship meetings with this pastor, he as he would disciple me, he, he asked me this question. He said, do you love the Lord or do you love what he gives? And I go, well, I knew the right answer to that one. I love the Lord. But then I got to think about it. You know, I really do love what he gives. You know, I love, I love life, eternal life, forgiveness of sin. I mean, I loved all of this. I, I love, I'm going to go to heaven. 
you know, but, but, I, but it just began to show me I really didn't love the Lord. So I began to do, go on this pursuit of loving the Lord. And, you know, what, I mean, seminary, my, my professor, Oscar Thompson, talked about love meeting needs. And I said, how, how can you love God, you know, whenever, you know, God has no needs. And, uh, you know, of course, he said, well, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, you know. So, you know, so I was on this journey of doing, trying to, so that my, my pure motivation was loving the Lord. And you know, the very first church I went to in Washington State, I mean, God bless that church. It was a great church. I mean, you know, we went there with 12 people and just and when we left, it was, I mean, it was full. You know, it was, it was like God blessed me at that church. People were calling me, you know, tell me your church growth principles. And I was willing to tell them everything I was using and stuff like that. And then the Lord moved me to another church uh, right in the, the Puget Sound area right in the Lake Washington area. And, and uh, boy, nothing worked at that church. I mean, it, no matter what I did, all those church growth principles didn't work. Oh, wow. You know, nothing, nothing would, nothing worked. You know, but I was trudging along. I was, you know, making a little advancement. And I'd come up with, the, you know, like this small team of people to use to really to help build the church. And, and, and then, but it still was struggling. And I remember, you know, just running across that passage of scripture that says, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So I go, okay, all right, Lord. I'm in, in this time, I said, Lord, I give you the church. I, you know, here's, I'm going, it's, that's the problem. I've been trying to build it. You know, I, I'm going to now give ownership and just give you ownership of this church and let you do your work. And then, you know, I thought, okay, now I've done the right thing. And, and then about, about two weeks later, it, it, it all fell in. You know, this, there was a couple that I brought in and uh, I mean, they're leaders and I'm developing, discipling them and they come to me and they said, hey, we feel like God wants us to plant a church and it's right down the road about 30 miles. I go, well, why can't you just stay here and just do those exercise those skills here? <laughs> right. And they go, no, we're not gonna do that. So, okay. So they go off. Then another couple comes to me. Uh, we just got a job transfer. Uh, we're moving, oh my gosh. and and so I like I lost my core leadership in like two weeks. And then you know now I'm talking to God. And I go, well, great. You know, I give you the church, and look what you do with it. Pruned it. I mean, you. I give wow. you the church, and now it's just falling apart. Out. And very clearly, the Lord speaks to me, and he, and he says, ask me a question. He says, do you love me, or do you love what I give? Oh, ouch. Uh, I said, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. It's your church. And at, at that moment in time, I actually gave him the church, and I never took it back. Wow. So whether the church did really well or the church fell apart, it was his church. And he had ownership of it. My job was to obey him, to do what he told me to do. So that when I walked away, I can say we did everything that we know, that we obeyed everything he told us to do. And walk away with my first love being him and not what he gives. Wow, that's, that's powerful, Rodney, because it, I, you know what it speaks to, I think, in so many ways is that sometimes the things that we do, even in ministry, but yeah. I think that anyone listening to this who's had a job forever, right, or a job that they love, it becomes their identity. It is. Right. And I, and I think that that, you know, and even if, um, even if it's a calling, right, we, we believe that God gave this to us and he's doing this in us and through us and all of that, but it can sort of become an idol in that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd find my identity in how the church was doing, mm. you know, there was this you know, we don't talk about it. We don't admit it, but you know, success is growing a big church, right? Yes, right. And, uh, but I wasn't in the, you know, up in the Northwest is not the best place to grow a large church. You know, if I wanted to do that, I should have stayed in the Bible belt, but, 
But even then, you know, I still found my identity in that and how I felt about me. When the church did well, I felt good. When the church did bad, I wasn't feeling that good. And I and it's like I had to shift that it, it's not about the church. It's about him. Yeah. 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 Woo. That's powerful. Well, so Rodney, you have so many great insights on many, many subjects. And I, I love everything that you teach. And I've heard you teach so many times. But my favorite was uh, there was a time that we were both speaking together at, at a like a supernatural school of ministry. And, and, um, and you were teaching on the subject of maturity. And I had never heard anyone teach on maturity in that way. And I, I also love your teachings on the kingdom and of course, deliverance and forgiveness. But, um, but this one really struck me. And I would really like to talk with you a little bit now about uh, maturity. So sure. some of my questions, I sent them to you earlier, but I'll just, yeah. I'll just read them. But, you know, how important is maturity to the body of Christ right now? I mean, you know, always, of course, but, but how yeah. important is maturity to the body of Christ right now. Yeah, it, yeah, you know, like you said, it's it's always been an issue. I mean, even the Apostle Paul wrote some of those books, you know, because people were not growing up and were not maturing. But practically speaking, uh, because <clears throat> well, practically speaking, right now there is a deficit of spiritual moms and dads. Mm. Okay, there's just a spirit. There's you know, a lot of the leaders of the church are not really true mothers and fathers. They're just you know, they're just older brothers and sisters. And how and, do we know that? How do we discern the difference? Well, okay, mothers and fathers want you to succeed and they're not intimidated by your success. Okay. Okay, so if, if, the, if you got somebody that has the title of a mother or father in the house, spiritual leader, and they get intimidated by you or your gifting, rather, rather than catapulting you, you know, to, to go past them and to go to the next level, you know, you have a spiritual brother or sister because they're pushing you down. They're competitive. And yeah. so they're actually competing, you know, siblings compete. So what, what this is doing, this is actually creating competitive Christianity because we're competing against other Christians, you know, churches are competing against other churches. And, and so it's creating competitive Christianity, because that's, that's what older brothers and sisters do. And the other thing is, is that they happen to be producing, you know, you, you reproduce of like kind. Mm -hmm. So they're not really, you know, reproducing people who are coming to the fullness of their destiny. And so that's why you have this whole CEO mentality and model there is, is because they're not really understanding that the government of heaven happens to be family and how do families work? You know, Paul, the apostle talked about, you know, treat the, your older women as your moms and your sister, you know, these other ladies as your sisters and these as your fathers and brothers. So it's, I mean, that's the culture of, of heaven, of the church is a, is a family culture and that's how we relate. But we, when we move out of that, you know, and, you know, because old, you know, they're not led by fathers and mothers, <laughs> they're led by older brothers and sisters there. So it's just, it's just creating a deficit of immature believers because the model that they're producing is not maturity. You can only bring somebody up as far as you have come yourself. So there is a lid of maturity, which means there's a lid of destiny on people's lives because they're not being led by fathers yeah. and mothers. Oh, I, I think that makes so much sense. Yeah. And that, what, so what does maturity mean? I mean, what does it mean to be mature? And, and how do we how do we become mature? Does it like it just happens as we go along? And I, I mean, I can answer that myself saying it doesn't just happen because you and I both know in our experience, we both have years and years and years of experience yeah. in ministry. And we know people who who are have been in the ministry. Uh, or in the body for 50 years plus, and they are still like kids. So they, they have not matured. So what is maturity? What is maturity, Rodney, and how do we get it? Well, I think you can define maturity as character. 
you know, it is basically it's maturity comes out as character. You know, we, as you as you said, maturity isn't time because we all know people who've been a Christian for a long, long time. Or you're still immature, mm -hmm. or, or it's maturity isn't knowledge. You know, some people think I'll just grow in maturity if I learn, take another class or read another book. But we all know smart people too who are not in that are that are not mature. Right. So it's it's not time and it's not knowledge. You know, it happens to be happens to be character. Uh, takes it takes time because then mature if it's character then maturity is the process of taking off what doesn't look like Jesus and then putting on what does look like Jesus and that is the process you know it does there's a process you go through there are steps that you walk through uh, you don't get to bypass the steps you don't get to test out on a on a on a step you know you go through these steps and but I will have to say this that if you will, if you will cooperate with God, you can actually expedite the process of maturity. Like when you ask some people, like, "How did you become a leader?" and, and most people go, "You know, it's it's more by accident than than on purpose." Like, I don't know how I got here, you know. And so, in in a sense, it's kind of like God's going to mature you with or without your cooperation. But in but it's you you really want to cooperate if you if you do this and pursue this on purpose, be intentional about it, it actually comes faster and quicker th than if you give no attention to it at all, you know? So I would just say you just need to, you just, you just need to cooperate with God and just be intentional about it. And it, and it's, it's this process of taking off what's not him and putting on what, what does look like him. Are there, are there stages that we can identify in, in the process of maturity so that we sort of can, can say, okay, I, I'm sort of, I'm here. I think sometimes it's helpful when I can recognize where I'm at in a process, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like that first John uh, passage where he talks about children, young men and fathers, you know, he's indicating he's very repetitive with that, you know, with, with children, he says that, you know, the father, your sins have been forgiven. Uh, basically, a child is about what what has God given me? You know, this God has what what does God give me? And so those are the questions you ask, and you find your identity in what God gives. You know, and so that that's where you learn how to become a, a live in God's family. You see God as Father. Uh, you begin to learn your the family identity. You take on the family name. You uh, and so you go through a process of learning how to, you know, you're not. You, you know, in the beginning stages, people have to feed you, but later on, you learn how to feed yourself. You go through this process. That young man stage, you know, he says that, you know, three things about with the young man that, you know, the word of God, you know, the word of God, he's the word of God's in you, that you have over, that you have defeated the enemy and that you're strong. Well, you're strong because the word of God's in you, but you don't get to be strong without learning, understanding the disciplines of the faith. You know, it's like any athlete. You, know, you can have to discipline yourself. And, and so you understand a little bit about sacrifice, but your identity doesn't come from what God gives you. Your identity then comes from what you do for God, because you're actually out there beating on the devil and you're just, and you're just, you know, taking things, you know, I mean, you're, you're advancing. So, you know, so when they give the testimony time, the children stay, they're talking about God did this for me. God did that for me. And then the other children are jealous, you know, cause they're like, maybe God doesn't love me the way that he loves them, you know, cause they're comparing gifts and stuff like that. Yeah. The young men, when they give their testimony, it's about, I led this many people to Jesus. I cast out these, you know, these demons, I healed all these sick, you know, right. I, you know, I did all these great exploits for the kingdom. But the father says only one, it says one thing and says it twice. It says, you know him who's from the beginning. And that when you begin to see him from the beginning, you see the bigger picture. You begin to realize everything the father does, he does, it flows from his character out of who he is. So therefore, at, as you move into this stage of maturity, you've already gone through those other two. But when you get into that stage, you, you are actually, you know, running after the character. So when the testimony time, you know, comes then you're like Yo, you know god's doing this in me i you know i'm walking he's, he's taking this out and putting this in so you're actually you're talking about the character of, of the father i think when jesus said this when you've seen me you have seen the father i think that should be our statement as well 
in as we are mature because the way that people on this earth are going to have an interaction with God as father is is when they have an interaction with somebody who reflects the father's nature so we should be able to say when you've seen me when you've encountered me when you've spent time with me you have actually encountered the father so that that's kind of just a very quick synopsis yeah I'm working on that book, by the way, to be able to write, lay all this stuff out. You need to. I'm telling yeah. you. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yes. And so I'll, I'll have it out this year. Okay. I'm holding you to that. You just said that publicly. You're because this is going public. So you're accountable now. It yeah. is today. We are recording on March 4th, my grandson's birthday. Happy birthday, Mac. March 4th, 2021. You heard it here. He'll have it out this year. I will. So you'll be hearing this podcast actually probably in May, not in March, but he said it in March. <laughs> That's awesome. So as you were talking about that, I had another question though. I yeah. was thinking, can you be in different stages all at the same time? Well, it's like this. Uh, it's like gifts and things like that. Okay. You know, gifts are given. God just gives you gifts. And sometimes you re, you will reflect the character of another stage because God graced you to have that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you think about it this way, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to build a three-story house, you build enough of the first floor so that you can start working on the second, mm-hmm. but the first floor is not finished. And then you don't get to start working on the third floor until you have enough of the second floor done so that the, it'll be able to work on the third floor. Yeah. So it's not, you know, so you're going to have parts of you that's, that's going to be in every, every stage. It's not completely linear. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, you kind of look at like a, like a barrel, you know, if you, if you can, you just picture a barrel and you got these different slats and you got parts of you that goes into the, to the top part, you know, like a father, and, you know, you may say, well, I must be like a father because I'm, you know, I love people and I, you know, no, no, you just have the gift of compassion. Okay. Or I must be a young man because I, I, I love the word, you know, well, no, you might have just the gift of teaching. God graced you with that, but water always flows out of the lowest slat. Okay. So, so that's your, really your maturity level is wherever that low slat is. So you'll have parts that are up there in other areas. But, you know, it's like that lowest part, that's really kind of weird. <laughs> that's your maturity level. So. That's really good. Thank you for explaining that. I think uh-huh. maturity, I think God's going to put his finger on that in this yeah. next season. You know, I yeah, think, I think so. we've, been through, we've been through some really difficult time. I think that that going through a year of being isolated and having so much pruned pruned away from us that we're used to, especially in our nation, that um, I think that we've had the opportunity if we, if we were willing to see where we personally are really at by, by examining our responses to everything that has happened, including the elections, including, you know, being, uh, uh, being cooped up with your family, including, you know, and, um, and it's sort of been an eye opener. Yes. Very you know? much so. So, all right. So we have uh, about eight minutes. And so yeah. I want to ask this next question. We've been through a very difficult year. And I just I just talked about yeah. a little bit. Huh. Hang on a second. Yeah. Before we move this from this topic. Yes. You know, I, I just, I really want to answer that the question of why. Why would we want to be mature? Yes, thank you. Okay, yes. and uh, there's there's three reasons why we need to to pursue it. One one is that you're you're not going to come into the fullness of your destiny without it. Mm. Okay. Secondly, you're not going to come into the fullness of your function in the body of Christ without it. You know that's Ephesians chapter four. And the third thing is that you need it in order to steward the anointing. You know the prodigal son squandered his inheritance because he didn't have any maturity to be able to steward it. And oftentimes what we have, we have this misconception of God. We, we kind of project on 
God a little performance stuff that we actually carry, but he doesn't have to carry because, you know, when God gives stuff, he, when he gives a gift or he gives anointing or, or whatever, you know, we may project on him that we think he's doing that because he trusts us. Okay. But the truth is God is just a good giver. He, and he's going to give you stuff that's way beyond, I mean, with, without necessarily trusting you, he, he's just, he, you know, God's not performance-based. He's just, he's just a giver. You know, gifts are given and fruit, fruit's what's grown. So, I mean, it's like this. So if I have a, you know, have a child and, and um, I, I, the first knife I give my child would be like a little plastic knife to cut the Play-Doh with, right? right? And then later on, I would give them a butter knife that's not real sharp. They, if they, if they're, you know, if they can work those two, then I can give them a steak knife, you know, but, uh, but pocket knife, that's going to come a little bit later and a hunting knife or a fishing knife, you know, that's, that's going to come much later. So it, in, in, in the natural, we would say, well, as soon as they are trustworthy, I'll give them the next thing. But the, the thing is, God will give you a great anointing. He'll give you authority. He'll give you gifts. He'll give you that stuff in great quantities without the maturity. You know, you, didn't, you, you don't earn that stuff. You know, God just kind of gives that stuff. He's, and he's, he's, he's a great giver for that. So you have, to, you have to ask yourself this question. Do I have, do, do I have the maturity to bear the weight of the anointing that I want to walk in. Woo. Because the anointing can take you out. And we have seen many of our yes. people that we know. And you say, and they presume because they had anointing that they were mature. Right. And the other parts of the body of Christ presumed they were mature. And they, they, they held them high and then put them on pedestals and because they had this anointing and this gifting, you know, so, but they weren't looking at fruit. They weren't looking at character. They were actually looking at the gifting and the anointing, you know, and you can actually, you know, develop your gifting and you can grow in some of those and mature some of your own giftings. But, but the thing is, is that God will give you that anointing, that gifting without, without maturity. So the presumption is, well, I, God must think I'm mature because he gave this to me. So uh, therefore, I'm, I, I, they presume they're at this level of maturity be, without character because God must trust me because look how much I'm doing for him. So I, I, I think that is a, that, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And so we need to kind of help people to realize, okay, well, that's that a great anointing. I think it's a, it's amazing what you do. Strong prophetic gift or strong evangelistic gift, great healing gift. Okay. All right. So, but uh, show me the character. Right. <laughs> right. And how do we, how do we, how do we measure character? How do we recognize, I guess what I'm asking, you yeah. know, as pastors, you know, you and I both have pastored. We we are itinerant now, but we both we both pastored, and we all we both have seen, and our friends who pastor have seen yeah. people come into our church who are really magnificently gifted, more more anointed or or more extravagantly gifted than I ever was. You know, and um, and people were immediately enamored. And of course, many on the board and, you know, they will want you to immediately put them into position. And of course, mm -hmm. Timothy says not, you know, Paul tells Timothy, don't do that kind of thing, you know. Um, but how do we, how do we, let's say a leader is listening to us right now. Let's say there's another pastor that's listening to us right now and they are experiencing this right now. How do they recognize or how do they discover if a person who's wildly gifted in their church is is mature enough to handle a position or a, a, a influence that they would give them in their in the body well the thing is is that i always put people in positions before they had the maturity you did you know yeah oh yeah i, I didn't wait till they were mature enough 
Okay, you know, good. That's how, the, the kingdom is about risk taking. And that's really how people do grow. God does throw us into those things that force us to grow. So I never put somebody in position because they were qualified or, I mean, it's like you had to hear God on this. He didn't pick those 12 disciples, you know, because they were like qualified. Mm -hmm. He simply picked them and then, you know, threw them into the fire. And then that, that culture of risk, you either have great successes that produce the Peters and Pauls, or you had a Judas. I mean, it's great failures or great successes. So I didn't actually put people in positions of leadership based on whether or not they had maturity, you know, but, uh, but because they have, they're going to make messes and you got to help them clean up those messes, you know, but basically, you know, I, I assess maturity so I can help them move up the next step of maturity in their pursuit of character and things like that. And I can't really know that until I have some interactions and see how they interact with people, see how they relate to people. You know, just, it's the love of God there or are they just, are they living in fear? So, you know, it's, it's, and then some people always presume they're at a level until I have interactions with them. And then the Lord begins to show me, oh, you, you, you thought they were here, but they're down here. Or sometimes I thought they were here. And then after interactions, wow, that is a giant. I didn't see, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. I mean, that person's carrying a whole lot, you know, that was like, you know, because they're so humble and, and timid and stuff like that, but they're carrying this weight of anointing and authority, you know, so you can't judge the book by its cover for sure. Oh, I think that's, Wow, that that was so good. And I think I think that brings us actually full circle back to the beginning when you said that there's a deficit of mothers and fathers because a mother and father would take a risk on their kid. Yeah. A mother and father looks at their child and says, Oh wow, they have a gift for this thing, even while they're little, and then they begin to cultivate that. In them so that they can come into the fullness yeah. of, of the gifting and the calling that's on their life. Wow, yeah. that was really good. Yeah, that was that was really good. We don't we don't wait. We don't wait until they're mature to to uh, to give them position, but we also don't abdicate our pastoral leadership or our our parenting, so to speak, of them. Yeah, because you're gonna. You have to. Be, yeah, you have to be willing to walk them through the process of growing and maturing, and when they make mistakes and, and when they fail, because they will. They will. You know, the kingdom is about failure. I mean, these great saints always have great failures, yeah. but just walking them through, helping them clean up their mess, and helping them, you know, learn from their failures so they're not repeating their failures. But you know, a culture of risk is going to have. Uh, you're going to have some failures there. You so know, just helping them pick it up, clean up, get going. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, so we've just been through a very difficult year and yeah. people have begun to discern where they are having some issues and problems. Um, so in light of everything that we've just talked about, um, what what would you say to our listeners today directly to them if they've been listening to this and they think oh my gosh I think I have discovered that I'm actually much more immature than I than I thought I was <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know or they or for whatever for whatever is on your heart Rodney what would you say to our listeners today well I would I would just say that in, in this season that we're in uh, don't don't be discouraged because God is still in control there is a uh, I mean, regardless of, of what has happened, I mean, it's like there, the Hebrews 12 thing is going on with God is shaking what can be shaken. So what cannot be shaken will remain. And what cannot be shaken is his kingdom. The season that we're in is the season which God is highlighting his kingdom. You know, the book you're, you're putting out and the, you know, the I'll, I'll put one out, you know, I mean, sometime in the next, I don't know when, but you know, this year, you said by the end of this year. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a, no, I'm doing a kingdom book. That's different oh. than the maturity book. Oh, a different book. Okay. A different book. But here again, you know, we should we should look to see that a lot of books in teachings and preachings are going to be arising up in this season about the kingdom of God. Because yeah. people don't understand it. But just because they use the terminology, they sing the songs, they've read the parables, 
they really can't define what the kingdom of God really is. Right. You know, the rule of heaven, how that manifests. So they're, I mean, especially if you're supposed to be seeking first his kingdom, you should know exactly what you're seeking. And most people can't even define that, you know, what they're even running after. But it, that's what, but that's what God is doing now. He's highlighting, highlighting his kingdom. Yeah. His rule and his reign. And the people are going to be pushing in and running after this, pressing into it because it's, you know, it's igniting something in, inside of them. So I would say that what you're seeing is God is shaking. And if you've experienced the shaking, it's because he's trying to shake off what's not him. He's trying to shake everything off that's not him so that what is of him will, will remain. So we just say, you know, just cooperate, you know, with what God is doing. Uh, I know this time is you, you, you see darkness getting exposed a lot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was kind of hidden that wasn't, that's not getting hidden anymore. I mean, there are freedoms that are eroding, you know, the, we're in the, the moment of the great censure where everything's getting censored and, you know, and it's, it's, you ought, the, 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 the strategies of hell are getting exposed, you know, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, those strategies are, are getting exposed. So don't, don't get uh, discouraged when you see that because it was already there. Okay. It's just, it's just getting, it's coming to the light. So, it, and things have to come into the light and uh, shaking has to happen. So, you know, you don't get to avoid the shaking and our nation's getting shaken. The world is getting shaken. Your, your churches are getting shaken. Our, our lives are getting shaken. But remember that is so that his kingdom, what is of his rule and his reign will begin to remain on our life as he takes off prunes, cuts away things that aren't him so that you can come into the fullness of, of your destiny, of what he, what he created you for, what he put you on earth to do. He's just positioning you to walk in that in a greater fullness. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm so thankful that you were my guest today. And would you, would you, as we close, would you pray for my people and for all of those who are listening to this podcast today and uh, however you want to pray, just go for okay. it. So Lord, in your name, we just come against every assignment of hell, Lord, off of all these people that are listening in Jesus name. Lord, we just come against the, the, we come against fear in Jesus' name, fear, fear of what's going on, fear of the times, fear of just all the, the fear that is consuming some people right now, they are, they are so disabled because of fear. We ask you, Lord, just to begin to break that fear off. And we know you have not given us a spirit of fear, mm -hmm. but a power of love and a sound mind, Lord. So we just ask that you just come in the opposite spirit. We just break off every bit of fear of man, Father, that's keeping people from going forward that's keeping them from moving into their destiny we ask you to to break that off i ask you that you just break off every bit of deception father that you give us really eyes that can see and ears that can hear lord i began as just peel the things off of our blind spots father the things that where we don't even know we're blind father we we think we're okay but we're not Father, we just ask you to remove, Father, just all of that, those, those blind spots so we can see with your eyes. And we thank you, Lord, that whenever we see with your eyes, it's going to be, it's going to be eyes of grace, eyes of mercy, eyes of love, eyes of compassion. Father, I ask that you expose everything that we've come into an agreement with, Lord, that is not of you, that is of hell. And Father, we just want to just break our agreements with darkness, but we want to come into full agreement with heaven, with your word, with truth, with what you said. And more, Lord, more than anything else, Lord, we want to, to be those who are lovers of you, Lord, who love you first, that we, we're obeying this first commandment, not because it's a command, but just because it's our passion, Lord. So Lord, show us how we can walk in love and how we can love you and and experience your love in jesus name Excellent. and just bless kim <laughs> in her transition as she continues to transition 
Father, even into another house. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I move actually into my forever home. We're calling it our forever home yes. uh, next week, actually. And uh, we are very excited. So, Rodney, thank you so much for coming on and being on my podcast. And you know that I love you so much. You are a friend and a brother and you are one of my pastors and I I adore you and I can't wait till the next time we get to go out and minister together. So Amen. I bless you and, and uh, your family also over there in Abilene after you had that huge record breaking storm and yeah. uh, and for everyone else, thank you for being on, being with us today on the Move Forward podcast with Dr. Kim Moss and uh, blessings over your day. And we will see you again next time. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, KimMoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Beep, beep.